Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, we're back talking value investing. Everything you need to know about value investing in 20 minutes with the, with the big asterisks. That we probably won't cover everything, but it's a good headline. Everything you need to know. Everything you need to, to get know. started. To get started. Yeah. Kind of. Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. 20 minutes of disclaimers. Yeah. But if you do need to know more, there is a heap of no- notes. Uh, there are resources, so you can click the link. Don't forget, we are doing these shorter series, uh, shorter episodes as part of our summer series. We'll be back in February with long form where we answer your questions. But we do want to hear from you. If you do like these episodes, please let us know. We'll do more of them. So, mate, let's start with what is value investing? Value investing is this idea that there is a disconnect between the price of something and its true value. So, you can exploit the difference. If you think something's worth $100 but you can buy it for $50, well, that's like buying 50 cents on the dollar. So, we believe that through valuation work that we do, and I'll cover some of that in a minute, we can invest in something like a stock or a business, and we think, well, it's going to increase in value, or maybe the price catches up with value. It's yeah. kind of the, the basic gist. Like Traditionally, you would talk about Benjamin Graham, but it was the idea of buying an old-fashioned company where they have assets mm-hmm. and the share price was lower than the value of those assets was. Yeah. It's probably changed a lot, which we'll go through as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that's the case. So, you could- Traditionally, it was assets. Yeah. Um, and it's shifted more recently. But the basic formula for investing is as follows. It's the dividends you receive, and that's just the cash flow, plus the profits of the company going up. And the change in the multiple. So, this in many instances could be just like the price earnings ratio, yep. which just compares the stock price to the profit per share. And that's the idea that the PE ratio tells you the number of years it'll take to get back what you're paying for that company today yeah. in earnings or profit. Yeah. Imagine a company is paying back 100% of it, the profit that it makes to you as a shareholder. How many years would that take? Yep. So, there are multiple ways to make money in this equation. There are three variables, dividends that you receive. So, we talked about passive uh, income investing yep, or just income investing in general. Then we have the earnings growth. And by this, we mean the profitability of a company improving over time. Most companies tend to improve um, 
albeit their share prices might not always improve. Because the final thing, which is this third factor, is the change in the valuation. And so if we just had, imagine a company that trades at 10 times its profit, i.e. a P ratio of 10, imagine it falls to eight times, all else being equal. Well, the value of that thing is worth less. But if it goes up, then you benefit from the valuation increasing. And here we have the very simple equation. And over time, companies tend to increase profits. So that's the one we tend to focus on as long-term investors. Exactly. Not so much the change in the, the multiples. So They increase profits or they disappear. Yeah. <laughs> that basically, like you, you survive or you don't, really. Yeah. Um, and there are numerous studies, but my favorite one is from Boston Consultant Group or BCG, who found that over 10 years, the best companies- can be explained by their revenue growth and their profit growth. Yep. If you just focus on those two things and you think in 10 years, what will be the best company, you're probably most of the way to finding really good investments. Yep. The thing is, most investors tend to focus on the final thing, which is the, the P ratio. Yep. They tend to go into their ComSec or their terminal and or their platform and they go, what's, what's wrong with the lowest P ratio? It's an oversimplification. Yep. And- Oftentimes, there's the saying, cheap for a reason. Yep. So, if it's cheap, you've got to know the reason why. And if we think about the genesis of value investing through time, as you said, Ben Graham yep. wrote security analysis. I think I've got the, the number here. I think it was 1934. <laughs> Have you read security analysis? I started trying <laughs> when I tried the book. CFA. It is so thick. It's like- like if you wanted like a weapon in your house to protect yourself, like have security analysis on the shelf because it is a heavy, dense book. I tried it as an audio book as well, and oh, it put no. me to sleep every time. It's incredibly challenging. Yeah, and then they they I would say air quotes dumbed it down into uh, the Intelligent Investor, which is the brown book that yeah. is more a concise, reader-friendly thing. Even still, that still doesn't help. It's <laughs> still pretty dense. Everyone tells you to read it, but I reckon most- I think it's an industry joke because <laughs> yeah. you get about 50 pages in and you're done. I feel like, you know, you go on social media or you hear someone that like, now here's my top five investing books. And if you see security analysis, you know they're joking. They've never, they've never read it. <laughs> they're just, you're just like, who's going to read that? By the way, if you want to learn more about value investing, there is a heap of resources- one of those things is a free resource that we put together last year, um, which is a Google Doc with about 30 books in it that I think you should read. And I'll tell you what, security analysis doesn't get a mention. So, it's a fantastic book if you are into that sort of thing, but it was written a very long time ago. The first, uh, this is the origin story of value investing as we know it today, yep. is that Ben Graham started out just saying, just go and buy companies where they have more assets than they do liabilities and make sure that, that number- is bigger than the stock price, yep. basically. And this is what he would call a net-net, which is where you have like net assets and net cash that exceeds the value of the company. Like cigar butt is cigar what they butt. used to refer to it as. Yeah, Yeah. so you just find these beaten down companies that are pretty gross, that have pretty strong balance sheets, and that's it. And then later on, Buffett took that, and if you follow many of the, the writings or even, uh, say, a, a fantastic book, which is- so Graham taught Buffett, didn't he? He was a lecturer. Yes, yeah. yes. Graham were, at Columbia taught many great investors, yeah. and many of them went on to work with him in one way or another. Um, Buffett really had to try hard. He was the only student that ever received an A+, and yet he still did not get the chance to work with Graham straight out of 
university, yeah. um, which we'll cover Warren Buffett in a separate uh, session. But Buffett basically took that and then he decided to discover through his own, because Buffett was already incredibly wealthy by the time he was going to university. As a young person, he was incredibly wealthy yeah. uh, because he'd had side hustles, which we'll talk about later in another session. But he basically took that and said, well, you look at all these businesses that were turning over like rocks. Why don't we just buy one that we can hold on to for a bit longer that maybe it's a bit better? And that really did not sit well with Graham at the time. So then Buffett started to toil with this. And this is where we kind of edited the second phase of value investing. And you could probably say that this is like the 40s and 50s, probably the f- more the 50s and 60s. And then it went to this third phase where Charlie Munger comes into the picture and so met Warren Buffett. Like latent value. Yeah. And this is where we start, to your point, yeah, we start, start to talk about things maybe that you cannot see in the financial statements. Yeah. And this is a period where you go from like the 70s through to the 2000s. And in this period, maybe like the late 90s, you could say, you, you see Buffett and many of the value investors at the time, like Peter Lynch and all these people emerge that are going, well, no, it's not just about the numbers. There's something else that explains what is an incredible company or investment. And you start to introduce this idea of intangible assets. Yeah. Things like brand, like Seize Candy, which is big in the US. You don't really get it here in Oz. Um, but Coca-Cola, it has a really strong brand. Um, like American Express. Tech companies today. Yeah, like, tech yeah. companies. Yeah. And you go, okay, there's obviously an intangible asset, something you can't touch that explains what this business is. Google. Google. And Charlie Munger introduced this idea, and even though this quote is attributed to Warren Buffett, it's probably a Charlie Munger inspiration, which is that uh, it's far better to buy a wonderful business at a fair price than a fair business at a wonderful price. So basically saying, you can go and buy those cigar butts, but it's probably better to find the one or two that are really good and just hold on to them. One of my concerns with value investing has always been from experience. Uh, everyone likes a falling knife. We've yeah. talked about that separately. Yep. But what's the catalyst? And that's what you're referring to there. You yep. can be undervalued for another decade. Yep. What's the catalyst for you no longer for that gap between your what Buffett will call an intrinsic value and the share price? Well, that's like say AMP. Yeah. You know the it's like a beaten down super cheap. Yeah, it's so, always looked like price earnings ratio of next to nothing. The value of the assets look like it's really high. Like this is, how can this thing exist? Yeah, yeah that thing's just kept falling. What's the catalyst? At the moment, you think you know what the catalyst is, but if it never comes. Yeah. There's a fantastic interview. Uh, it's also included in the Google Doc with Joe Mager, the first interview that we did with him where he talks about if you are a traditional value investor, what you're trying to do is you're trying to identify the mispricing before others have figured it out. But what you're also trying to do is you're trying to buy, say, a dollar for 80 cents while that dollar is becoming less and less valuable. So you're trying to predict the declining value as much as you are anything else. So if you think about old blockbusters and things like that, someone invested in those on the premise that it was cheap, right? But this is the final phase or where we're up to modern value investing, if you like, where you enter this phase where... It's no longer about what you can see on the financials because computers can do that faster than anyone. It's no longer about like the net nets. They pretty much just don't exist unless you're in some weird parts of the world. It's now about how much better can you use your instincts as a consumer, as a, a student of the world to predict what companies will do next. Yep. Earnings have become more important. Exactly. Yep. So it's that earnings equation. It's no longer that valuation arbitrage, you know, that plus or minus the PE multiple. It's the earnings growth. Yeah. 
companies since the 2000s in particular, like Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you mentioned. CSL. CSL. Uh, here in Australia, Altium, really Prometicus, wonderful businesses that every, quote unquote, value investor, traditional value investor would be like, that is not a value investment. But here we've entered this phase where value in- tr- traditional value invest, uh, the modern value investing is indistinguishable from what we call growth investing. Yeah. And that's why there's really no difference, I think. This is my pitch. You can shoot me down. <laughs> it's basically this, that- you have, everyone has the same opportunity set. And what we all want is growth and income. Like sometimes the proportions vary, but what we're trying to do is exactly the same thing. So is there a difference between growth and, and value investing? Yes. But if you think about it, we'd all take the same outcome if it was perfectly rational. Yep. Like we'd all take the, the one that maximizes our return. Definitely. Total return. So it's the kind of difference I say, see between value and valuation. Like you're buying value, yeah, not the current valuation. Well, this is the thing, right? Like if you have, say, Commonwealth Bank shares today, there's going to be someone out there that thinks, oh, it's going to grow pretty good. They're investing in technology. And there's yeah. going to be another person that thinks, that's a value investment. The PE ratio is not too bad. Yeah. It's the same company. <laughs> it's only our perception it's, of what it is. And that's, uh, this is why we kind of hate using a single measure. And that's why PE ratios, they're, they're, you can't compare them across industries. It doesn't make sense. You compare a tech company, they're always going to be at 30 or 40 times because they're penalized by the way most PE ratios are calculated. You yeah. know, all their R&D and investment hits their profit usually. Yeah, um, so PE is always going to be high even though they're investing in themselves. So it's you almost need to compare you need a different measure for each company within each different industry. And you always need to compare when you value investing, the value, relative value between similar companies yeah. domestically and globally. Can you talk about uh, catalyst then? Like what is a catalyst for those people that don't know what that means? Uh, catalyst is a, a, a reason or an event that would ma- force that um, valuation difference to be narrowed. Uh, a lot of the times it could be a takeover. So like I had Origin Energy as an example this week. Yep. Everyone thought it was undervalued compared to gas prices, the value of their, we don't say coal, fire power <laughs> stations. Uh, so someone came, lobbed an offer and, and offered to buy them because they thought the company was cheap or good value at the time. Mm. Uh, that's a major catalyst and it, it's not always good for investors because a lot of the time they've held it falling all the way down to, to for a stock like Origin and then they get a takeover offer. It's probably where they originally paid for it. It could be AMP would, would be the perfect example for that. Yep. But it can be other things like a change in the market, something with their com- competitors or just a general improvement in that sector of the economy. Yep. So if it's AMP, you could have a change in financial services legislation that uh, you know allows a return of what they were doing historically or mm. rebranding and positive sentiment will turn. Um, and I mean, one of the biggest things with with share investing is emotion and sentiment. You're seeing with Telstra, with AMP, with a lot of mm. these companies that are widely held, that sentiment and emotion is what keeps share prices down, but also makes them rally incredibly quickly on the other side. So, absolutely. How does that sentiment is probably the biggest catalyst, which is out of your control. Yeah. So, how do you read that? So, you know, that study that I referenced before about over 10 years, um, revenue and profit growth drives returns yeah. for the best companies. Well, over five years, it's actually the sentiment because it's that PE ratio moving Momentum. around. It's like, yeah. like bouncing around and people have been like, oh, profit went up once. Therefore, it's not a 10 times PE ratio stock. It is now 20 times. Let's double it. And the yeah. stock price goes shooting up. And so that sentiment is extremely powerful in the three to five year period. But yeah. over the ultra long term, it's the, is this a good business? Yeah, exactly. Um, and 
you can try like a lot of people, a lot of value investors play on both of those equations. And I think the trade-off is, can you, are you prepared to buy a wonderful business and just hold it through thick and thin for the ultra long term? Yeah. Or are you prepared to take a shorter term horizon and take lesser quality business, but at a better valuation and try and bundle those together? Yeah. Um, and that's probably the equation for most value investors. Given that we've got about five minutes remaining, Drew, I thought I'd maybe just spend a little bit of time on how you actually determine valuations uh, for companies. So for most investors, uh, for value investing, it is traditionally done, at least on Wall Street and in professional circles, uh, as a discounted cash flow analysis, which is just taking the future value of a company, uh, the cash flows that it creates, and that's the value, and then you discount that to today. Yep. So you're probably familiar with this if you studied any type of statistics or maths at school. Um, you probably haven't used it for a very long time if you haven't been investing. Like an NPV calculation. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? net present value. So basically, what we say is the company could produce, say, $10 million of cash flow every year for the next five years. What is that worth today? And we do the same with the total value of the company at year five. Um, we add those two things together, and that's our value today. Yeah. Now, there is, there's obviously, I've simplified it. But what we're trying to do is value a cash stream. So in the case of a discounted cash flow or DCF analysis, it's really not, it's not the cash that goes to you. It's the cash that goes to the company. Yeah. So that's the key distinction. So you don't collect this cash. You're just calculating how much cash flow is the company itself generating from its operations. Then you value the business, right? Now, there's another model, which is probably simpler to understand, which is a dividend discount model. This is where you receive dividends from the company and you value those dividends as if yeah. you are the investor receiving those dividends. So there are multiple different methods, but those two are probably the most well-worn and probably the most rigorous. There are other methods such as Warren Buffett's owner earnings model, which is basically just dividends plus the increase in assets, yeah. uh, which is a bit... More old school. Retained profits or- Yeah, retained <laughs> earnings, basically, which is still a very good model, and many people use this. I think the, the, the way that people go really wrong with value investing is they think that value investing is about numbers in a spreadsheet. Yep. Th- that, in my opinion, is probably 10% of the effort, if that. The real work is understanding the business. Yeah. And there's this old idea- the idea of a value trap. Yeah, well, value traps. Like if you let the if you let the valuation tail wag the dog, wag the investing dog, you're yeah. going to end up with a lot of cruddy companies. You'll probably lose a lot of money on some of them, and you'll end up with a big tax bill even if you do churn the portfolio over. And it's a lot of bloody work. Yeah. Um, so for the most part, I think there's this idea of that we have this mosaic theory in finance, which basically means like you don't have all the the numbers, so you don't have the you know, the company's accountant at your disposal to ask a million and one questions. So basically what we do is we piece together a mosaic and the successful investors are the ones who piece the mosaic together and realize what the picture is. So a good example of this is imagine that you have one of those join the dots pictures and everyone has the join the dots pictures in front of them. So your job is to connect the dots as quickly as possible and you realize, oh, hey, it's a picture of an elephant. Yeah. You've got to figure that out quicker than someone else does. So you go, oh, well, it's an elephant. And someone else might draw a different line and be like, I still don't know what this thing is. I still don't know what this thing is. Through research, through reading forums, speaking to customers, um, annual reports, 
going to trade shows or industry events, that's how you begin to build the picture of what this thing is and how you determine its value. I'd have a couple of warnings probably on yes, value please. investing. If you, yes. <laughs> I always like uh, minimizing mistakes. So one is be careful of style sector bias. So what do you mean yeah. by that? So when you're looking at value investing, like you've said, if you look at it, adding it, looking at it traditionally and you're looking at PE ratios, there's certain sectors that are more cyclical, more yeah. volatile, and will always have a lower PE because like, investors like don't justify- Like banking or resources or something like that? Banking, energy- Commodities, resources, materials, they will generally have because their earnings are less predictable. Yep. So when you value investing, there's a tendency to overweight traditionally yep. those sectors. So a lot of value strategies will have 40 to 50% of the portfolio in a couple of sectors. So yep. as part of a broader portfolio, you don't want to be overweighting a couple of economic sectors specifically. Mm. And there's a, probably an interesting one that comes out of that, which is mm. the reverse of value investing is you want to buy commodity companies when the PE is actually high, not when it's low. So can you explain why that is the case? Sort of, <laughs> yeah. like PE ratios generally. Well, generally you, a commodity company's share price will- Like an iron ore business or something. Yeah, yeah. Their share price will move as the commodity price moves, but their earnings won't won't be filtered through for another six or 12 months. Right. So you're, you're seeing this uplift in earnings and whether that's sustainable or not is the question. Yeah. But history and I think uh, data analysis has shown that you actually want to buy them when, it, when they look the worst to buy, mm. not when they're on a four times or five times PE, yep. which is kind of the complete opposite of what value investing talks about. Yeah. So, basically, you're saying that the earnings or the E in the PE ratio is 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 maximized. So, the E is yep. the biggest part yep. at the top of the cycle, but that could be when the commodity prices are about to fall. And you're cycling out yeah. earnings. Yep. And so, your earnings at that point will look like it's like a low PE ratio, yep. which could be a value trap going the other way because exactly. the earnings are about to fall. Exactly. Not the stock price, the earnings. So then your P ratio is going to explode again. So the key would be to be forward looking. Exactly. Always. Yeah. Counterintuitive. Yeah. And also study, be a student of history. Yeah. Um, study not just like the recency bias that creeps in. There are so many biases that creep in in value investing, but recency bias is the tendency of us to take what's happened in the last two or three years and assume that that's going to happen for forever. Yeah. If investing was that easy. Uh, I don't know, maybe accountants would be the best investors. Um, I will also add that the big criticism of value investing uh, and something that has been tr- we've tried to adapt as an industry going forward in this latest phase of what we call value investing is trying to think more exponentially. Companies yep. don't often move in a straight line, yet we model things like 10% growth, 10% growth, 10% growth, 10% growth, when really that's not what's happening. No. It could be up, down, left, right. And the number, if you go 10% growth this year, great. But if you go 10% growth in year 10, that's a lot more than probably the value is today. Definitely. So it's actually growing exponentially. And we tend not to think that way, but we have to adjust our mindset for some of these modern companies. And it's probably worth referring to contrarian investing yeah, true. as well. Yeah. That uh, you know people talk about value and there's value managers, but there's also this approach called contrarian, which feels like value because they're buying cheap assets. But what they're really buying is those asset, those companies. There's a, a couple of fund managers in Australia or globally that do it. They're essentially trying to buy those assets where sentiment is incredibly negative yeah. and and wait for the, the catalyst to come, which yeah. looks like value, but traditionally it's not. And that's where they, they'll be forward looking uh, and look, they might hold Apple if there's a valuation, if, if it's on the nose you know, sentiment wise. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things where 
Um, there are many different shades. Like we often talk about like growth investing, value investing, but then there's like growth at a reasonable price. <laughs> and, and then there's like, I don't know, contrarian, momentum. Yeah. <laughs> there's value as a traditional beta sense. Like there's so many different ways to cut these things up. But at the end of the day, remember that you are buying something that is creating value. So you've got to understand how that thing, i.e. business, is creating value in order to have a value on it. Um, now, the other school of thought, which is completely at odds with this philosophy is technical analysis. In technical analysis, the analysts assume that the stock price today represents all of the information that could be possibly be known. Efficient market. Efficient market theory, basically. And you're just predicting like behavior in the short term. Um, so that is like diametrically opposed to value investing, yep. where we believe there's a disconnect between the two. So obviously we can't cover everything. We've gone to, over time at 23 minutes. We can't cover everything on value investing in one short block. So please refer to the materials. If 2023, uh, you're thinking this value investing thing, it's my jam. This year is my year for value investing. Jump into the notes uh, and you will find a bunch of links there, uh, including a free Google Doc, but you also find a link to our value investor program, which is normally $4.99, but there is a coupon code available for that. Uh, we'll get it down to $3.99. Great value. And there's a book recommendation there, Value Investing by Bruce Greenwald. Did you say great value in a value investing? <laughs> it's, value, it's a valuable course and it's great value. Yeah. And it's on value investing. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Uh, Drew, if you want to get in contact with Drew from Waddle Partners, uh, you can head to waddlepartners.com.au slash contact, get in contact with Drew and one of the team will help you out with financial planning and everything you need there. Mate, thanks for joining me. Thank you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.